All right, cool. I'll bring this one back real quick. Three. Fine. welcome to the black and gold banneret podcast our regular thursday edition jeff sharon eric lopez and brian murphy with you we got our basketball preview special editions earlier this week guys we are burning the midnight oil tonight uh on a night that's full of college basketball we had actually it's just been a day of it we had it earlier this morning didn't we Yes, although I don't know if my hearing will be repaired for the next six months, but it's, Fair point. it's good as basketball. I'm, st- I'm, still, I'm still ringing from that. That was fun. We were all at the women's basketball game um, earlier today. We were recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, uh, they played the game early at 11 uh, in the morning, and it was education day, so we had um, some 4,000 elementary schoolers, third to fifth grade at the game, and they were great, and they were loud as could be okay uh quick sidebar so you know the the burrito wrap competition that they had in the first media timeout did you guys see that i did not okay no you guys missed that well that's too bad because the the girl who won is my niece my niece samantha from uh i didn't even know she was going to be at the game um, and I see her like you know running up and down the floor. Basically, she's running gassers trying to put together a a, a burrito made of pom poms, and and she and she won and she won a, uh, the the little contest there. And I didn't I didn't realize it was her until I saw her out there. And then she didn't realize that I was and that I was doing PA for the game until she was walking off the floor. And then she saw me and she waved. She's like, "Hi, Uncle Jeff." And I was like, "Samantha," <laughs> I was freaking out. It was great. I'm so. MVP of the show already, my niece Samantha. Congratulations, Samantha. Job well done. She can run, man. I'm really proud of you. So, all right, I want to get that out of the way. We got a lot to talk about here. Murph, what did we just hear, Murph? Did we just see like family, uh, you know, little nepotism here on the show? No, I. Did you, I, did you miss my slow, awkward clap? I mean, I, I was that's, trying to put that's that up what that there. was. That was that's what that was. How dare you? How dare you slow clap my niece? Um, that so we've got that we've got uh foot. Well, obviously, we'll preview football early game this week. It's on Friday night against Tulsa at Tulsa. Uh, we'll preview that plus a look back at uh, at what UCF was able to do against Houston. The second half is uh, action just continues to get better uh, for UCF. Um, we will talk about uh, men's soccer uh, finishing the uh, regular season as the outright conference champs. Uh, in the regular season, women's soccer making their run in uh, the American tournament. They got through the first round. And we'll also hear from Jordan Pingle, graduate of the UCF volleyball program from last year, uh, on what she's been up to since she graduated and her thoughts on UCF volleyball this year as they enter senior weekend already. Final regular season home weekend of UCF volleyball coming up this weekend, including a big match against Cincinnati, Eric Lopez. Marquee matchup, and it's going to be an honor to have Jordan Pingle, All-American player, the all-time record holder in, in digs. She will break down, actually, the keys to that match between Cincinnati and UCF. Not a bad person to have on to talk UCF-Cincinnati. Uh, she knows a thing or two about that matchup. Plus, yep. we'll talk about what she's up to nowadays and her great career. Cool. All right, so we'll get, to, we'll get all that. Plus, we'll recap that women's basketball game from earlier today. But first, let's talk football. Uh, UCF, wow, another second half of the ages against Houston, getting the victory uh, 44-29 in a game that really wasn't all that close in the second half. And now a quick turnaround, Friday night game at the Tulsa 
Golden Hurricane. Here's an interesting uh, number, gentlemen. UCF has never won at Tulsa. UCF is 0-4 all-time at the Golden Hurricane. They haven't won in football or men's basketball. That's right. Men's basketball is 0-10. That's a bad number. I don't know what it is, but it's bad. So uh, it's 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 been rough for you, rough going for UCF against Tulsa. Of course, that goes back to the Conference USA days when you know Tulsa was actually a pretty good football team. They're not as good now, although they are frisky uh, to say the least. Um, last meeting was uh, a win for Tulsa, thirty-five twenty, but that was back in twenty sixteen. That was actually the last time they were any good. <laughs> Tulsa was. 45-30 win for Tulsa in 2015. UCF's last one was in 2014. Um, I don't know about you, Murph, but you know Friday night uh, at Tulsa, House of Horrors for UCF. I know Tulsa's not what Tulsa used to be, but uh, any reason or cause for concern heading into this Friday night game? Is it the short week? What is it? I mean, yeah, if you want to do that, or like maybe it's going to be cold. Like, like well, that's time, convincing. Tem- <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, to boy, I'm trying to, like, buoy your stupid argument, Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, it's, we're five, we're five minutes in. I've already, you've already pissed me off twice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> so that'll do it for the Black Gold Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, go, go ahead, Brian. I'll let, I'll let you, I'll let you get it out of your system. Go ahead. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, you know, kickoff kickoff temperature will be probably in the mid 40s. Um, so bring your long johns, I guess. Will it be uh, windy? It could be a little swirly. Could be a little blustery. All right. Uh, I uh, this Tulsa team, yes, has been uh, uh whatever you want to call it, spunky or frisky. whatever. Frisky. Frisky. Uh, I think their record says you know you you are what your record says you are, and this is a team that. You know, on the regular, gives up 35 to 40 points a game. Uh, their defense has been fairly atrocious all year. They cannot run the ball. And this game could – I think the one thing that sticks out, sticks out to me about this game is this could be a really tough watch. And I do think UCF wins easily. And I will say the last time I said that on a UCF road game, they were heading to pit. So I understand that I might be stepping in it oh, for boy. the second time here we go. But I really do think Yusef wins easily just because Tulsa's defense has been bad, just straight up bad. Uh, you know how often we've talked about UCF penalties and their lack of discipline and the pre-snap, post-snap stuff? Uh, they do. And UCF still ranks among the worst teams uh, in terms of penalties per game, penalty yards per game. However, there is no team, and I mean no team, that is drawing more penalties than the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. This could be a slow, methodical, m- like, like just, like, I don't know, maybe a fight will break out. This thing's going to take forever. <laughs> this thing's going to take forever because there's going to be, like, 20 flags on this game. Uh, and I do think UCF wins by more than 16 and a half, um, but it's not going to be a fun watch. 17 is the number right now, by the way, 17. Right. 67% of the money on UCF, the over-under 69 and a half. Um... Opened up, by the way, at fourteen and a half, and jumped up to and jumped up to seventeen. Um, Tulsa, like you mentioned, yeah, they're two and seven, zero uh, and five in the American. They're they lost that one game to Memphis by one point. 
Uh, they yeah, lost in triple. 42, 40, it was 42-41 or something. Right, 42-41. They also went Should have won the game. Should have yeah. won the game. They also went to triple OT with SMU and lost by six. Um, yeah. Should have won that game. They were up three touchdowns. Yeah, their only wins were against Wyoming and, San, and at San Jose State earlier um, in the season. They lost to Cincinnati. This is what I mean by how they're frisky, okay? We talked about three overtimes to SMU. They lost to Cincinnati at Cincinnati by 11 points. Uh, they lost. Uh, they lost by one to Memphis, and they had Tulane on the ropes last week and couldn't knock him out and lost 36-28. Lost by eight points. So I don't know. I, I, I I'm overstating this, aren't I, Eric Lopez? The, UCF should take care of business here, but I don't know. There's just something about. UCF and Tulsa going back in history that just, I don't know, maybe it's just PTSD. Am I am I wrong about that? No, actually, I'm on your side, and I'm against Brian on this side. Now, look. Since when that, do you agree with me in opposition to Brian? Since I heard over 6,000 third and fifth graders <laughs> yelling in my in the ear. But, uh, <laughs> what did they do to your the, brain? <laughs> that's what I want to know myself. But look, you, they I watched them a few times this year. They hung in there with Oklahoma State. They gave Oklahoma State a good game. Oklahoma State pulled away late in that ball game. The SMU game, they dominated that game. They were up three touchdowns in that game. The Memphis game, they should have won. If they had if their kicker actually makes makeable field goals, they would have beaten the Memphis and SMU. We would not have had college game day in Memphis. So they haven't been necessarily a, a walkover, and they are at home. And the thing is, you look at that point spread. Yes, the money's on UCF. It's everybody's picking UCF. I mean, it's begging you to take UCF in the points, right? You're thinking, I bet you Brian secretly to called his secret bookie <laughs> and probably mortgaged his house on that number, didn't you, Murph? You just put it all in there already. How dare you, you cast aspersions on I Brian Murphy's upstanding citizenship here? I mortgaged both wheelchairs. <laughs> I'm, and, and, <laughs> that's pretty. I can't top that liner. Um, Brian wins. So look, so look, I. It's a tricky game. I would say, wait, should UCF win this game going away? I agree. But what have you seen from this team that would suggest they're going to play a full sixty minutes on Friday night? They've only done it when. When have they played a sixty-minute game this year? Temple. And then prop, and then I would say still, uh, the second half against FAU was good. Uh, actually, the full sixty minutes there was pretty good. And also last week against Houston was flat out dominating, maybe more so than any game in any half this you mean season. The, okay, you're gonna say the second. I was gonna. I hope you would say the second half because the first half they gave up 196 yards rushing to a yeah. team that's trying to redshirt the whole year. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but one of the guys that they aren't redshirting yet, oh, they are now, but one of the guys they aren't redshirting then was still good. So, whatever. My point is, uh, go ahead. No, you finish your point, Eric, and I will rebut again. I'm just saying, it's a tricky game at UCF. And bad, weird stuff happens in Tulsa. It's not a very exciting city, with all due respect. I've been there twice. Really, it, it's... If you're not careful, I mean that it's a tricky place. Oh, that's all I'm saying. I'm not suggesting Eric. that they're they're gonna lose. I'm just saying, would it shock me if I'm at the uh, media room at the Magic at halftime and I look over at UCF and Tulsa in a close game at halftime? No, I wouldn't. Eric's out here lobbing grenades at at Tulsa as a city. This is amazing. We, this podcast is already an eleven out of ten in the early going. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I. 
I, I this feels like another game where I think you're right, Eric. Like, uh, you, you know, we're going to look up at halftime and it's like a three point game. But then second half UCF shows up because it just feels like Philip Montgomery and Tulsa, they just right. don't have enough in those second halves. Um, and this would be a bit, I, and I, I don't want to understate, like, it, assume, you know, if UCF is able to walk into Tulsa and get the victory, it's going to be at 7 p.m. on ESPN2 on Friday, by the way. To get a win in Tulsa is is big because you know, any conference road win, I don't care about the quality of the opponent, any conference road win is is big in any in any way, shape, manner, or form that you can get it. Plus, in addition, you get a W on the road heading into the bye week. Because remember, this year we have two bye weeks. UCF's got a relatively late bye week. No game next week. Their next game is at Tulane on November the 23rd. Uh, and which is the, which is the, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, um, and so they get an extra day off in addition to all that. So uh, I, 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 you know, you get off the Schneid at Tulsa, you get a win, you get to eight and two. Um, well, here's my next question. All right, so we had the CFP uh, poll rankings come out. Four teams oh, from boy. the American are in there let me ask you this uh and i know what eric's answer is going to be so i'm not going to bother asking him brian murphy um is there a possibility of ucf potentially sneaking into that college football playoff top 25 oh murph it's such a prestigious rankings murph can we will we can ucf sneak in there because remember there's still some crazy stuff that might go down here we had four american teams in it um, they're all ranked at yeah. Cincinnati's 20, Memphis is 21, Navy's yeah. 24, SMU's 25. Could UCF sneak in there somehow, you think? You mean like this week? Sure. All right, so Jeffrey, I'm going to go real high tech on you. All if right. You, if UCF wins this game all right. by double digits, let's say, and then some teams that are ranked at the bottom of the top 25 lose, I'd say there's a pretty good chance UCF sneaks oh. in. Okay. I'm just just putting yeah, that there out there. Go. Putting that out there. there All right. Uh, have, have, chew off that. Chew on that one. All right. By the way, this doesn't. By the way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Thank you. You're yeah, safe. It doesn't matter. Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, we got we got Temple in South Florida. Uh, well, it, it it only doesn't matter until it does, and it you know might not matter this week, but it could matter. Call me. Call me when Cincinnati loses. That's yeah, that's yeah, the Jeffrey. Thing. They're playing uh, UConn on Saturday at three thirty. Well, we, call- we won't be calling you Murph this week. <laughs> right. I've mor- I've mortgaged my future wheelchairs on a Cincinnati <laughs> win there. I feel oh, better boy. about that one. I feel better about that. Uh, SM- SMU's at home against uh, ECU. Uh, not a lot of conference. Only three, con- uh, four conference games this weekend. South Florida's at home against Temple. Um, a lot of schools have the uh, uh, have the week off, and then Saturday, November sixteenth, is where things really start to kind of ramp up a little bit here with Cincinnati against South Florida, Memphis and Houston, Tulane and Temple. Uh, that's next week while UCF is off. So, but um, all right. So again, seventeen point spread. This is what I'm thinking. What's going to be at, what, any uh, news to report, Brian, off of the UCF front? I know Greg McRae might be coming back. Is that right? Possibly, I believe there is some optimism there. Uh, you know, we're used to, to Josh Heupel telling us that uh, a final decision has not been made about injured players heading into games, and usually, usually when he does say that, they don't play. And I will, so I will say that today, when asked about uh, the status of Greg McRae, 
Uh, when asked Wednesday, he said that there has not been a final decision made on his status. However, um, Greg is out of the knee brace, uh, and Heupel said he has been taking reps in practice all week. So if not this Friday, then it certainly looks like a good bet that he will be back for the Tulane game in two weeks. An interesting point here about UCF in terms of the rushing game. Right now, UCF's leading rusher is uh, Otis Anderson at 543 net yards. Benno Thompson's got 467, and Adrian Killens has got 413. Greg McRae is not in the top three among UCF's rushing leaders. Now, he probably would be had he not get hurt, but um, still, that kind of shows you the kind of depth that they have, at least at this point, right? It sure does. And, I mean, Bentavious Thompson has really been – at least this it's been he's been this offense's most productive back uh for the last three weeks ever really since the the the, the ecu game uh, i know you know obviously uh you know otis had that huge game against temple but in terms of touchdown scoring big runs you know bentavis thompson is not again not a fast guy he's ripped off four 30 yard runs in the last three weeks um you know he's he's been amazing and i don't know maybe if you want to read more about him, then go pick up the Orlando Sentinel tomorrow morning. Someone might have wrote something about it. <laughs> Look at that. A little uh, little, little cross-promotion there. I'm cross- digging this. Here's, here's, a, here's a nice little tidbit for you. Tulsa right now in the, in the nation, 112th in rushing defense. Uh, that's not very they a, good. They give, a point. they give a ton of points. They're bad on defense. They commit so many penalties. I think as long if UCF secondary can hold on, you know, against uh, against their receivers and, and uh, particularly Keelan Stokes, um, Kalen Stokes, excuse me. I, I really don't see this much as a threat. You know, there's only one house of horror, horrors for UCF athletics, in my opinion, and that's the FedEx Forum. This is not a, wow. this is not a house of horrors. Even though they haven't won there in four tries, including a conference championship game. That's fine. It's four games. It's a small sample. <laughs> well, keep in mind, Jeffrey, Murphy has never been to Tulsa. So that is all nullified by Murph's presence. We've seen how this football program has responded with Brian Murphy's around. So, so saw, saw how they responded well when I went to Pittsburgh for the first time. In <laughs> yeah, that worked out really well, didn't it? <laughs> that worked out fantastic. So uh, kickoff for that game Friday night. Uh, on uh, ESPN two, Dave Fleming and uh, Gene Chiswick calling the game That's for right, ESPN yeah. two. Former Real UCF school. defensive coordinator knows a thing or two about the program. Uh, Paul Paul Carcaterra down on the sidelines at Chapman Stadium in Tulsa, seven p.m. Friday night should be um, a pretty good one. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we got some some other football to talk to you about. Big news from UCF men's soccer. Uh, as they prepare for the postseason, they are the outright uh, conference uh, regular season champions. We'll recap that and a look at what women's soccer is doing as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerette podcast is back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. We, st- we started with football, and now we continue with the other football. Uh, we're talking about men's soccer and women's soccer. And how about this year for men's soccer as they finish up the regular season? Um, and number six in the coaches poll, number three in the RPI. They get another golden goal uh, from uh, from Gino Vivi, and UCF finishes the regular season with a uh, three to two victory 
over the Cincinnati Bearcats. Obviously, they got the one nothing win over Memphis last Friday night at home on senior night to wrap up at least a share of the conference regular season title. Now they we've now they've ensured that they won it outright with that three to two win at Cincinnati at Gettler Stadium. The Knights finished the regular. This is some amazing stuff for Scott Calabrese's team. UCF finishes the regular season 13-1-2. That's the fewest losses in the regular season for UCF men's soccer since 1976. They finished the conference season 6-0-1. First undefeated conference season since 1980. Uh, And they finished 8-0-1 at home. Now they get more than a week off. They get to... they, uh, They will not play again until Wednesday, November 13th um, at 7 p.m. in the semifinals, which the Knights will host at uh, on campus. They will face the winner of Temp- Temple versus Memphis um, with a spot in the American Athletic Conference championship match on the line. That would be scheduled for Saturday, 7 p.m., but you got to get through the semifinal first. But um, we'll start with you, Eric Lopez. This run by this team. Eight overtime games. They won six of them on golden goals. Um, I guess it's safe to say this team's battle-tested heading into the postseason. Uh, let's put this in perspective here. You know, this again, this we know this team is good. Are they good enough to challenge for not just for not just winning their conference here, but could they challenge for a national championship in the college cup? Yes, I mean, they're, uh, the, the committee came out with their top 16 seeds on Friday night if the season would end Friday. And UCF came in at number six. So, I mean, obviously they're in the mix. The big concern, though, that I have is defensively. You know, they gave up a late go at Cincinnati in the 82nd minute, had to come back and win it in overtime. They've done this a few times where they've coughed up leads in the second half and the coach Calabrese has talked about it. That's my biggest concern is coughing up leads late and being forced to play in overtime because, as you guys know, in the postseason, overtime's different in that, yes, you still play the two 10-minute overtimes, but then there's the penalty kicks. So all of a sudden, teams tend to play more defensive in, in postseason and play for penalty kicks sometimes. And we saw that at the end of last year. UCF lost in penalty kicks in the American Conference Championship game and then lost in overtime to Lipscomb in the second round of the NCAA. That's my concern, and I think that's the question is, can they shore that up? If they can, no question, they can end up in Cary, North Carolina in the College Cup. Yeah. We heard from uh, Scott Calabrese after that game. And, and again, I feel like you know what Memphis did to them, and Memphis is a pretty good team. They are receiving votes in the top 25, but... I feel like what Memphis did to them could be a blueprint for how to sort of defend UCF um, in the uh, in the postseason. Let's hear from head coach Scott Calabrese after the Knights clinched uh, their uh, a share of the regular season title. It's an incredible achievement, and uh, I'm I'm so proud of this group. And I, I think one of the hardest things to do is to follow up success with success because you really have to stay hungry and and you don't surprise anybody anymore Um, and it just shows their absolute commitment uh, to each other which I think is something that that our program has grown in in an incredible way the culture of this team how connected they are off the field and and they they are 100% family Um, and so I I'm just so happy for them, uh, happy for us. Love, love that we've 
had back-to-back -back championships, but even more so, just excited that we get to play again and that we get to keep going. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great night. Head coach Scott Calabrese of UCF Men's Soccer uh, as the Knights celebrated their second consecutive regular season uh, championship in uh, in the American. I think you're I, I, you know looking back at at what at those weaknesses kind of that you talked about. It's not like UCF isn't aware of those things, um, it, uh, but I do feel like they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder also from last year too, Eric, because of how the American finished out losing. Uh, losing it on PKs at home, and then losing at home in their first NCAA game. I think that 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 those two games really do stick in their craw, and, and I think there's some value to having that experience. And of course, it's a bummer that they lost, but um, having that chip on your shoulder, I think, really does count for something in the postseason, don't you think? Oh, I agree. I mean, I agree, and I think they're excited to get this back home to host the semifinal and potentially the championship game if they were to win the semifinal. I think they got a pretty good draw getting uh, the winner of the Memphis match. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens there with the 4-5 situation. You know, South Florida's on the other side of the bracket. But, yeah, I think they're, it's, a, it's a situation. And I think this, as I mentioned, the committee has them as a number six seed. You want to be a top four seed. If you're a top four seed, you pretty much play all your NCAA tournament matches at home up until the College Cup, which is the final four in soccer. If you're a, a five seed or lower, that means you're going to have to play a road match. So I think UCF has to win this conference championship tournament to have a chance to be a top four seed. Otherwise, they're probably just going to be in the outside. So there's added motivation for that and try to do the double dip and win the regular season and tournament title. So uh, lots to play for, and it's a veteran team. And you're right, the experience from last year should help them go, get through, go through this this upcoming year. And try and pull the double here as they have, uh, obviously, RPI could be helped out. Of course, that ranking could be helped out if they play SMU again and if they beat them. Um, I'm sure they would prefer to do that in the final if they get the chance. Uh, but that's further on down the road. They need to get past either Memphis or Temple first. Wednesday, November 13th at home, 7 p.m. at the Dragon Soccer Complex. That's the next time we'll see uh, UCF uh, men's soccer uh, take the pitch uh, as they will have plenty of time to rest up and get ready for the NCAAs. Their counterparts on the uh, women's side are already in the uh, American tournament. They got the, they finished the regular season 11-3-4, got the win on Halloween night over South Florida, ranked number 24. That did help out their RPI, but not nearly enough. Uh, so they had to play in the first round against, uh, against Houston. They scored five goals at home against Houston, beat them five to nothing. Uh, Elo, you were on the call for that game, so uh, so you got yep. yourself a, an American <laughs> tournament game. Next up, another another game with South Florida. This will be at Memphis on Thursday, this Thursday, November the 7th at 5.30 p.m. So we were talking earlier, Eric, about how what has happened to the UCF offense uh, in the month of October. You know, since starting with that October 17th game against Temple, UCF has scored a grand total of two goals in five games, and they dropped five on Houston on Sunday. What happened? Well, they, they've got some confidence all of a sudden. You know, when you get a win like you did against South Florida where Moreno scores right before the half, you feel good, and then Moreno scores two minutes into the Houston match, you're feeling good about yourselves. In fact, 
right after the match, Jessica Taylor, the senior who scored the, the one of the goal, five goals in that match, in fact, scored the last goal of that match, she talked about how, yeah, they're playing with some confidence, and they know, by the way, that they're playing for their season this week in the tournament. We know that to, to get into that NCAA tournament that we have to win this conference tournament, so it's really big win, and it's our last home game, so we didn't want to take any moment for granted and leave it all on the field, and we did. Do you feel your team's different here, different vibe since the win with South Florida, the confidence coming in, scoring so early, scoring in bunches. You feel that kind of the tide turning here a little bit, feeling good about yourselves going to Memphis now? Yeah, I think we know that like when we play our best, we, we are the best. So uh, playing against a really good team, South Florida, like I said last time, they're really good. And it gave us the confidence and the, the, the confidence to execute today. So it was really good for us. All right, that was Jessica Taylor after the Houston win. And Look, they feel that when they play at their best, Jeff, they're the best team. And that, and that hasn't been consistent. They had that little scoring drought. But they know they have to win the conference tournament to get to the NCAA tournament. They know that. And so, and I think, I'll tell you this, Jeffrey, I think the last 180 minutes might be UCF soccer has looked like a completely different team. They're playing with confidence. They're number one in the league in defense and goals against average. They've only allowed three goals in, in the uh, conference and they, now with some confidence offensively, I think they're a dangerous team in Memphis. They're playing with confidence. They've got the momentum going into Memphis against this match with South Florida. And, you know, that's something that when I talked to Coach Sahadak, Jeff, right after the match, she agreed. She That, that Houston match was the best thing that could have happened to them, as she says here. Uh, she couldn't have dreamed it up better. You know, I had this dream and I wanted to be able to score early. I think that's always the the best plan, you know. And so for Ellie to do that and position us, um, just to be up top early on was really awesome. Do you feel your team right now, and the players we're talking about, it feel extra confidence ever since that South Florida went a little boost there, and now they're, you know, playing freely now all of a sudden? Of course. I, you know, South Florida is such a good team, so to be able to get a result against them um, definitely was a confidence builder. And then I think being able to execute and score five goals today, um, you know, it's hard to score goals no matter – no matter who you're playing or your opponent is. So the fact that we executed and scored five was was big time. You can't predict how a match goes, but the way it went, it allowed you to play a lot of players and bring them in and keep them try to fresh here moving forward for Thursday. Yeah, I think uh, being fresh throughout the season is, is you know, so important um, just with how our schedule is, how many games there are in a short period of time. So uh, be able to play so many players off the bench today was important. How you got Florida again, you just played them. What's that going to be like? What's going to be the keys are moving forward? <laughs> That's tough to uh, have to play them so quickly, but you know they're again they're a team that we play with a lot of emotion and a lot of passion. There's that rivalry, and you know our plan is to be able to come out with that same spunk and that same competitiveness again, and hopefully get the result again. And uh, that was Coach Sahadek there, Jeff, and talk about getting a great start. The beauty of that blowout win over Houston, they were able to rest a lot of players. Uh, Kanya Plummer didn't even play in that game. They won the Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. She should be good to go for the Thursday semifinal. I think they're a rested team, and they're a team with confidence. And I can't wait to see how they fare against South Florida. They did a great job against them in Halloween. It is a little weird that they're playing a week later, so South Florida maybe has the edge from a standpoint they can make some adjustments. But it's a big match, Jeffrey, because – that's a game where both teams probably need that. South Florida is not in the uh, out of the uh, as far as they're a lock for the tournament. They some believe they need to win that match to secure a spot in the tournament. So this is going to be an emotional match, 
and I can't wait to see it. But it should be an interesting match on Thursday. But this is a team that's totally different than they were three weeks ago and, and might be peaking at the right time. Well, looking at the uh, RPI here, Memphis right now is the top team in the American at 24. Uh, South Florida is at 39, which is right on that line um, where they're kind of where you would see the bubble, I think. Um, UCF's uh, SMU 69 right now. UCF right now is sitting at 90. So UCF really has to basically has to win the tournament. Now, let me ask you this. If UCF has to win the tournament, uh, they, obviously they would have to beat South Florida. That would help their RPI, but not enough. Then who would you rather see in the final? Would you rather see SMU, the five seed, or would you rather see the top seed, Memphis? SMU, because first of all, you've beaten SMU in at third place. That's number one. Number two, you wouldn't have to play a r- true road game like you would if you played Memphis. Uh, and number three, uh, you know, I, at that point, I think they would feel pretty good about their, they match up well with SMU. Now, let me, having said all that, you know, I was at the Memphis match earlier this year. Statistically, they outplayed Memphis. They could have easily won that match. So it's not yeah. like they can't beat Memphis uh, on on the pitch. The problem is Memphis has home field. So I, I always feel, you know, you're basically playing a true road match. I would take my chances with SMU. And I think SMU has a shot uh, for whatever it's worth to upset Memphis. I'm not saying I'm going to pick them, but uh, – Interesting trend, though. Here's an interesting trend. The regular season champion the last couple years have not won a conference tournament. UCF in 2017 won the regular season title, lost on penalty kicks to South Florida in 2017 in Orlando. Last year, South Florida won the regular season title, lost to Memphis in the conference tournament final in Tampa. So uh, UCF, at least, is hoping that that trend would continue uh, as well. So we'll see what happens. Uh, should be a. I think it's interesting. It's a weird year for the league. It's a down year, and yet these are probably the four best teams in the league. And I don't think there's a big separation in between these four teams. Interesting. All right, Murph, are we going to get you to the men's soccer match on next Wednesday? I hope. Yeah, Murph. On you know what? That there, there's a chance of that possibly happening. Certainly, uh, basketball is on by. I believe. Or excuse me, football is on by. God, I wish uh, basketball is on by. Uh, football. <laughs> Football's on by, and I think basketball has a game the night before, so if I can uh, rub the sand out of my eyes from that one, maybe trudge my way back down to campus, well, uh, yeah, possibly be back out there. Tell, tell Ileana and, and, and Michelle that you're making it happen for the good for the good of the market. Okay. <laughs> um, Jump right on that. But, but now, now Jeffrey, don't expect Murph to be necessarily automatic to be at the championship game because there's just as big of an event going on right next to the soccer track complex that night of the championship game, the Black and Gold Baseball World Series, Murph. And I, you know, you're, you're not going to get. I mean, that's big, big, big. I mean, how have we gone this far in the show without Murph breaking down UCF fall ball baseball? I don't know how that's happened. I'm, I'm shocked. Wait. Waiting for my time to shine, guys. You just oh, call my name, and I'll come running figuratively. <clears throat> I'm just happy that we have players that we can field on a roster after last year, all the guys that left. So so that's that's one thing that we have to be happy about. I do want to um, reemphasize the uh, Thursday, November 7th semifinal. Uh, that will be televised on the uh, – it'll be on the American Digital Network. Is that right, Eric? That's right, American Digital Network, live from Memphis. All right. Uh, we'll be out there. So, great city. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I'm sure our boy Jeff Brightwell will be around there. I know yep. Haley Alton will be there. I don't know if Bright, Brightwell. Brightwell. Brightwell's been like the mayor of Memphis over the last week, man. He's been all over the place. He's just he's, he's just been enjoying the city. it, man. And then yeah. the final will be Sunday, November 10th at two Eastern, and uh, that will be televised on ESPNU. So yep. uh, make sure you keep an eye out for um, that. All right. Um, now. Over to volleyball, and uh, and I wanted to get, first of all, a recap of the weekend, a huge weekend coming up for UCF after they were able to take care of business on this um, on this split weekend. Um, they beat South Florida at home in the war on I-4. That's not really a, uh, a surprise. South Florida's having a, um, a rough go of it this season. Uh, and then ha- But then had to travel out to SMU, long road trip, tough terrain, and they beat the uh, and they beat the Mustangs in four. UCF has now won nine in a row. Uh, and uh, oh, by the way, it was McKenna Melville with twenty kills. Uh, Anne Marie Watson and Christina Fisher both finished with thirty uh, with thirteen uh, rather. So now comes the final home weekend uh, for UCF uh, volleyball uh, in the regular season. Um, two uh, key matchups. First of all, starting out with uh, with ECU, uh, this one's going to be. Uh, don't overlook this one. Friday at seven uh, against the Pirates. Uh, even though ECU right now is uh, struggling at five and seven, they're still third in the East in conference, and they're eighteen and eight overall. And then, assuming UCF gets through that, they have one more shot at the Cincinnati Bearcats on Sunday afternoon. Now, here's the latest with Cincinnati. UCF and Cincinnati right now are tied atop the East Division in the American at 11-1. and Remember, we have divisions in volleyball this year. Cincinnati has the tiebreaker having beaten UCF, but they lost to Tulane earlier this season. If UCF wins um, and, and then wins out the following weekend against UConn and Temple, who are a combined... 5 and 19 in conference this year. Uh UCF would then clinch the East Division title and in the process would also clinch the bye in the conference tournament. Remember we have a conference tournament this year. It goes over 3 days and you don't want to have to play 3 game 3 matches in 3 days. That's hard enough to do. Jordan Thompson, Cincinnati's uh top player. Bonafide Olympic team candidate for 2020 or for 2020 did you see the match that she had against UConn Eric yes I did how about uh, how about you Murph did you see what she did against (laughs) no what are you you doing you trying are you trying to shame me I can't believe yes you know what I am because here's what you missed (laughs) turnabout is fair play Here's what you missed, Brian Murphy. Um, Jordan Thompson uh, was named National Player of the Week by the American Volleyball Coaches Association. Five-set match against UConn. Oh, boy, UConn almost pulling Cincinnati back down and putting UCF in first place. Thompson had 50 kills in that match. Seventh highest kill total in a single match uh, in NCAA Division I history. Um, and uh, obviously a school record, uh, first player to hit fifty hit for fifty kills in a match during the rally scoring era, and uh, 
the first overall player to hit the 50 kill mark since Sarah McFarland of Loyola Marymount it, uh, dropped 52 on Ohio State. That was back on September the 10th, 1999. That is, this is quite, and she did it on some uh, on uh, on some 83 swings, which is actually even more remarkable because she was hitting over 600 um, in that match. A truly remarkable achievement by a remarkable player. Um, Best player in the league by far. Probably, probably the. For my money, is she the best player in the country? I'm not going to pretend I'm the, you know, Karch Karai here, uh, but she's definitely one of the best. She's definitely a legit All-American. Yeah. I it's it, it's I hope and here's what and that's what UCF has to face on Sunday is uh certainly like you said, the best player in the um in the conference. Um I just this is this is just really something that uh you know to see um, to see what she was able to do against uh, well, against UConn, I just want to pull up some of the numbers. But you go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, while you instead of you rambling off the numbers, let's get a perspective of a player, maybe the best defensive player in the history of UCF volleyball, who's gone up against Jordan Thompson to tell us what it was like to face Jordan Thompson and face this Cincinnati team. She knows what this rivalry is, which has really developed in the last few years, is all about Cincinnati UCF, and that is, of course, I'm speaking of Jordan. Pingle. Jordan Pingle's an All-American, all-time digs leader, maybe the greatest libero and defensive player you will ever see in UCF volleyball history. She helped UCF win the American Conference Championship last year and then into the NCAA tournament as a host and got to the top 25. I had a chance to catch up with Jordan Pingle, who will tell us what's going to be the keys for UCF on Sunday against Cincinnati and moving forward to go back-to-back conference championship and what she's been up to lately. Here now is our conversation with Jordan Pingle on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And we welcome Jordan Pingle here to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. You pretty much if you have has every significant digs record in program history, all American joining us now. Uh, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, let's first catch up with Knight fans there. A lot of them have watched you obviously play uh, your career. This year, obviously, your first year since you've graduated. What have you been up to for uh, for the audience? Uh, right now, I work for a smaller corporate events company uh, based out of Orlando. So I'm still living around in Oviedo, still visiting and seeing all my Knight family and being a good alumni of the school. But other than that, just keeping busy with work and supporting everyone. Yeah, you've been at a lot of matches this year. Uh, what's been your thoughts on the uh, this year's Knights team? Certainly, uh, as they get set for their final regular season home matches, they have East Carolina Friday, and then the big one that everybody circled, Cincinnati on Sunday, which we'll get into in a little bit. But what's been your thoughts so far of the 2019 Knights? Uh, so far, I think they've been a lot of fun to watch. I think um, it's cool to see some of the younger players that were freshmen last year kind of step up and take some more leadership roles like McKenna, for example, being one of the captains, I think was huge for the team. Uh, I think it's also cool to see some of the juniors now as seniors and then kind of going through exactly what I went through last year with kind of enjoying all the laughs of volleyball and college volleyball, but um, they're a very talented group and they're very spread out age-wise now. So I think they will continue to have success throughout the years. 
many questions from people on the outside asked going into the season how they would fare without you because you were you know you were significant loss you were the leader of the team last year just talk mm-hmm. about your position on the court and then how they fared with it this year from what you could tell yeah so my position on the court was a big time defensive leader um, basically any ball that came on defense was my responsibility, whether I was touching the ball or not, I had to make sure that ball was getting up. Um, and then also as the only senior and the captain, just kind of keeping the team in check, um, kind of continuing on the culture that we want, the winning mindset of we're going to be unstoppable until somebody can prove that they can beat us kind of type of thing. Um, but I think watching this year, they have Mackenzie as libero, and I think she does an excellent job. Uh, I think the Knights are super lucky to have her transfer in as a grad transfer because she comes in with experience and also some leadership abilities from her other team, and I think her skill set is great, and I think she has filled the role in very well. There is, as you head to the final home stretch here, what's it like as a player knowing that the finish line is here? Now, what's unique is there's a conference tournament this year. There was not that was not the case mm-hmm. throughout your career, uh, so that's an extra interesting t- uh, wrinkle in here to the finish line here. But you got the regular season tied on the line with two weeks to go in the regular season. Then you have a conference tournament. What what's the mindset of the players as you get closer to the end here and, and close to the postseason? Um, as it goes on, it's kind of a little bit bittersweet because you're so close to the end, but it's also you're so close to the end. And I think uh, playing for a conference championship regular season is so exciting, and I think it'll be fun um, if they get that chance against Cincinnati. I think that's going to be a huge match, and having that at home will be very exciting because we all know Night Nation will show out for that one. Um, But I think the conference tournament is going to be an interesting thing. I think it's cool for them to be the first to experience it and I look forward to kind of hearing from the girls and seeing what their thoughts are and if they like it or not and then obviously NCAAs is always an exciting thing and such a blessing if we get to go to those so it's it's all just a lot of exciting postseason is exciting and that's the jitters and the nerves and the anxiety and I mean last year for me I was so excited it was my first NCAA tournament and I was a senior so it was last year it was just so exciting and all these emotions, and then it didn't end as we all wanted it to, and it was absolutely devastating. So I'm hoping that the girls can kind of settle in better than we did last year and go further than we did last year. I think they can definitely make it past the first round for sure, maybe second, sweet 16. I think they have potential to go pretty far. Right, because almost everybody's back from the team from last year and having that experience, so... Uh, and yeah, I got a sense exactly. that there's a little extra motivation because of that. Maybe a little unfinished business, right, from last year? Right. Right. I think there's a little bit of a chip on everyone's shoulder knowing that we didn't finish how we wanted to and how we know we could have. So this year, let's prove it to them. Well, one team that's a roadblock, and that's Cincinnati. And it's kind of developed a little bit of a rivalry. They're, they're a tremendous team. Everybody knows about Jordan Thompson. Mm-hmm who was uh, this week's NAFCA National Player of the Week, very deserving after an incredible 50 kills in her last regular season uh, one yeah. of her, on Sunday, which is unbelievable. Uh, you've played against her. In fact, you've played against her six times. Uh, she had to sit out mm-hmm. a year due to an injury. That's why you two didn't graduate at the same time. But describe what it's like playing Jordan Thompson, who – 
I remember when I, we first saw her as a freshman, I was doing a broadcast on the American Digital Network here at the venue when Cincinnati and UCF played with Aaron Campbell, who you know very well, and Aaron watched her, and just five minutes in, she's like, this is a future All-American type and U.S. player, and boy, she was mm-hmm. correct on that. What What makes her so good? Um, I think, first of all, her height is huge because she can hit over 90% of the block. So as a defender, you kind of use the block as a key and you read around the block and you read the hitter. With her, it's with most people, unless you're Anne-Marie, who can jump out of the gym, you have to read around the block completely and not even take the block into account. So you're basically just focused on her as a hitter and where she's going to hit because she'll just hit wherever she wants over the block. Um, I think that she, her stamina is incredible. I don't know how she's taking 90 swings a game, but her getting 50 kills is incredible. Like she is a very talented player. And I think it's just keeping her off balance with the blocking and the defense, like make her have to earn her kills against her. We don't want her to just hit her normal shot over and over and over where if she's hit in the corner, we adjust our defense to do that. So we make her change her shot and really make her earn the kills. Yeah, make her work for it. And Coach Dagene have said in the past, hey, she's going to get hers. That's not, you know, mm-hmm. she's going to get hers no matter what you do. You're gonna, she's going to get hers. The key is to kind of shut, try to sl- shut down the rest of the group there, right? Yeah, and they have some other pretty good athletes and hitters on that team as well. So they're a very well-rounded team and Always fun to play, always good competitive games against them. Yeah, you played two classic five-setters last year. You beat them twice last year. That was the difference to winning the conference mm-hmm. championship. Uh, you know, and, and it seems like you know you bring the best out of each other there. You both have been NCAA tournament programs. Uh, is it one of those things there in the last couple of years? Is that one of those matches the players kind of you know circle a little bit? I know you don't overlook matches, but you know you know how good they are, and I'm sure they know how good you are. And, and is that one of those things where it's like you circle it and you're ready to you know you you forward that date? Oh, definitely. I think that's a huge rivalry match for us. I know we take would take each game at a time and focus on each team at a time, but in the back of everyone's mind, it's, okay, what are we going to do in practice this week that we can compete with Cincinnati and beat them? What are we going to do that we're going to get better where we can beat the USF and UConn, but also this will help us beat Cincinnati. It's always kind of in the back of our mind just because they are such a strong contender and beating them helps not only our RPI, but the conference rankings and all that. What's the key to beating them? What's going to be the key on Sunday in that match for UCF to be successful? Well, you were successful last year beating them in five sets. Earlier this year, Cincinnati beat them, won the match in three sets at home, but a little misleading. UCF had a couple of set points in the second set, didn't didn't convert, and you and you could sell, you could kind of sense if you watch the match in the third set, the sales were kind of not there for UCF after you know not holding on to that second set. What's going to be the keys on Sunday in that match? Um, I think a couple keys would be, one, serving tough, getting them out of system. Um, they're going to set Jordan Thompson no matter what, but getting her sets to be off the net and giving her kind of less vision of the other side of the court because she has to focus on the ball coming from behind her, I think is huge. That will help us on defense, and that will help with our blockers being able to get out there early, get set on her, and get a good solid block up. Uh, I think another key for them would be Hitting in seams, that is huge. We used to always love to hit right at people, and as we learned to hit in seams, our lives got so much easier because we would get free balls and down balls back. 
Um, and I also think that just keeping our composure and not stressing out over, oh, she got this huge kill or, oh, they got this great block, like one point at a time. All you got to do is win by two. You don't have to win by 10. You don't have to win by seven, eight, whatever it is. You just have to win by two. So just pushing through one point at a time and not psyching ourselves out and stressing out about it. We're speaking with Jordan Pingle here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What has it been like for you this year when you go and watch him play, but you're not you're not playing? You're watching it. You're a fan. Has that been difficult for you when uh, watching them in person? Yes, it was definitely difficult at first, just for because I had the longing to just be out there, especially defense. Defense was my favorite thing to do, and so I missed being out there for those long rallies and getting crazy ups and that kind of stuff. I definitely missed the defense. I miss the girls and I miss all the people and I miss that a lot, but I also kind of enjoy watching from the stands and kind of just getting to enjoy like, yep, that was my past. And now I get to enjoy it as an alumni and cheer on the girls and support them and the girls that are going to be having their senior day coming up and just get to be there for them and watch from a different side. It's getting easier, but I still definitely miss playing. What how, what got you, made you decide to come to UCF and play here at UCF? Uh, when I was getting recruited, I went on a couple of visits to different schools. And when I came to UCF, there was just something about it that really spoke to me. And it was a place that I could see myself going to school, even if volleyball wasn't in the cards anymore. If I had gotten a season-ending or a career-ending injury and I couldn't play volleyball anymore, it was a school that I could see myself still wanting to go to as just a regular student and enjoying all the activities and meeting new people and friends like that from Colorado and so Florida, the temperature is definitely a lot different. So that was a huge key too. And being close to the beach and there's just so much stuff to do and so much about this school that is so special. Like everyone here has so much love and support for the athletes and they will bend over backwards and do whatever they can to help you succeed them. I saw that and noticed that, and that was very important for me. And so I chose to be a knight. What do you remember of your first encounter with Coach Dagenet there? And then obviously, what was it like playing for him? Well, I actually knew Coach Dagenet for a long time. He used to work at USA Volleyball with my dad. So I've known him since I was probably like three, maybe really young. Um, so I just remember him being kind of like, a family friend and then once I was getting into the stage of I could play college volleyball and was getting recruited and then he was recruiting me I was like oh this is kind of like weird it's a family friend but it was so professional and it wasn't anything weird about it and just visiting and it was completely like he wanted the best for me just like any other player um you could tell that he was someone who really spent the time to learn about each player and know how to help them grow and learning what each player needed to kind of be pushed right up to their limits. And he loves to talk about um, breaking through glass ceilings. And that glass ceiling is the point at which you think you can't go any further, but you just got to push a little bit more and you can break through and go. And he knows that that's something super important, just pushing people right to where they think they can't go anymore, but then they do. And then you see that huge improvement. And um, like accomplishing the goal that they wanted to. So I could tell that he just really cared about the players and cared about the sport, and I, that was super important to me when I was getting recruited. How much of an adjustment was it for you to play all of a sudden now Division One 
quality volleyball here as you stepped on uh, on campus and you started playing matches here at UCF? It's definitely eye-opening compared to club. Um, I was fortunate enough to have um, a pretty competitive club team. So I had people on my team, um, Haley Washington, who went to Penn State. She was on my team. Uh, Alexis Smith, who played at CU, was on my team. So I had a lot of good um, competition and high-level athletes. So practices were pretty intense and tough. And coming here, it's different. The girls are older. The girls are stronger. Like they live and breathe volleyball. And so that aspect was different. And it definitely took a semester to get used to. I was glad that I graduated high school early and came to the semester early just so I could get that first semester under my belt and kind of get used to speed and the strength and the quickness of everything. Um, But it's definitely just different. The girls are smarter. They are more experienced. They know what they're doing. And you just got to learn quick and jump right in. Don't be afraid to make mistakes or anything like that and just learn as fast as you can. It was a bit of a transition season for the program. They had won the American Conference Championship uh, the year before in 2014, uh, took a step back in 2015, but bounced back, back back-to-back 20-win seasons, your sophomore and junior seasons, including a trip to the NIVC tournament. Uh, your junior year, what turned it around uh, from your freshman year, then all of us to your sophomore year and your junior year? Um, I would say that starting off with my freshman year, there was just this huge target on our backs after the team had won conference the year before. Um, they had lost, I think they had like six seniors on the team. The year before. So we were team, And we were kind of just confused, like, why is this target on our back? Like, we didn't win, the other girls did. <laughs> I think everyone came in kind of like shell shocked and just didn't really know. And obviously, that I think we got like fifth or something that year. We're like, okay, now we know. Like, we're all adjusted. We got to figure this out now. And I think it's just a kick in the butt in the off season. Like, all right, we know we can do better. We have the skill to be able to do better. We need to bond better as a team. We need to work harder as a team and just slowly start to build back up and put the pieces together that had graduated after that conference winning season. And and just learn and grow and get better at a time. And I think we are just a young team and um, just progressing step by step and day by day. And the older players really helped and held us accountable and would give us little tips and coaching tricks here and there. So that helped too. How did playing in the postseason uh, your junior year in the NIVC tournament, you had to play in Athens, uh, really set you all up for that magical year last year where you went 27-4, and undefeated in the league, 18-0, and and make it to the NCAA tournament. But did making the postseason the year before kind of help kind of start that run in 2018? Yeah, I definitely would think so uh, in a couple ways. First of all, just getting to experience postseason volleyball. It was all of our first time getting And it gave us, just a look into the future. Okay, so NIVC isn't as big of a deal as NCAA, but it is still postseason. You still get those jerks, uh, those and those nerves and that kind of stuff. I also think it kind of prepped us because we got to play a team like Georgia, who is Power Five, who is very competitive. They got the big hitters, the high jumpers, that kind of stuff. And yes, we did lose to them, but I think that just gave us a little bit of a, a taste of what postseason is like. Like you're going to play these big name schools and everyone is on the same level at that point. Like no one has any better record than the other person. You're all in postseason. You're all fighting for the same goal. So there's nothing different there. 
Um, and the last reason I would say is it kind of put a little bit of a chip on our shoulder as well, just because we did want to make the NCAA tournament. And I know we were kind of wishy-washy on the edge. We didn't know if we were going to even be in postseason. And everyone's goal is to be in the NCAA tournament. I think that year we were like, okay, that's it. Like, we're done. The next time we're playing in postseason is NCAAs. Like, we're not messing around anymore. And I think we accomplished that very well. And I think the freshmen coming in helped us a ton because we almost all of them played consistently or started um, last year. So that definitely helped well, one freshman that kind of took a lot of attention last year and has continued this year in her sophomore year is McKenna Melville, who you t- mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you rem- you remember the first time you saw her play on the court, and, and what makes her so good? Because she, for a freshman, man, she <laughs> she didn't play like a freshman. She was unbelievable, <laughs> and has continued that even to this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, she was coming in, and I remember a couple years ago. Uh, Todd had sat me down and he was like, so we have this girl coming in from Minnesota. She's going to be a libero. She's going to take your spot. And like, I really want you to kind of guide her and mentor her when she gets here. Cause you'll be a senior. You'll be a freshman. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm like, cool. And so McKenna shows up and she's like six one. I was like, this is the tallest libero I've ever seen. Like, holy <laughs> cow. And then we realized, Oh, she grew like seven inches after she was recruited and has been playing outside for the past like year and a half. And so then she starts ripping balls in open gym. I was like, okay, this girl is not playing libero. Like, she's an outside hitter. She's a stud. Like, we need her on the court at all times. She can't even take a half rotation off. Like, she was just so talented. And if anyone knows her, she's goofy and she's funny. And she takes volleyball seriously because she's very competitive. But she knows how to have fun. And she knows how to laugh at herself when she makes mistakes. So, She's really fun to play with, and her and Christina and I had a lot of fun um, going through all the serve-receive drills together and suffering through those and working hard together, but we really were able to make each other laugh and keep our spirits up throughout the games, even when we got frustrated. So it was it was great to have her being young and energetic and fun, and then Christina, who had been there for a year and was experienced, but still young and fun. And then my old grandma self out there, they were keeping me young. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I remember last year covering every time, you know, Coach Dashie would say if, you know, you were the leader of the team without question. If if something had to be said that maybe needed to be said, you would be the one that would say it, even if it maybe wasn't something that somebody wanted to hear. But you were like a de facto coach, if you will. Where where did that come from from you as far as being that type of leader? Um, I would say uh, just a lot being the only senior. I kind of felt that it was part of my responsibility. And the girls voted for captain and I was voted for captain. So I took that to heart and I was like, okay, like these girls want me to lead them. They want me to take control situations, to do the tough jobs and say the tough things that no one wants to hear. And I want to take that to heart because I think I can do a good job at it. I started to learn that that's what we needed to do do better is I had to say those things that no one wanted to hear because it was for the betterment of the team. Or I had to stay extra and do sprint reps and they actually because it was for the betterment of the team. I think a lot of it just leading by example. And I had a lot of upperclassmen that helped as well. I definitely would say that there was more than just me as a leader. Yes, I would 
have to say the hard things sometimes, but there are so many people out there that led by example or would help coach things. Cause I can say a couple things about blocking, but I don't know the fine details of having people like Ollie and um, Lachey and Marissa to be able to coach others and help them and talk through them with the freshmen and that kind of stuff. I think that was huge. So honestly, just the girls voting me as captain was such an honor and I wanted to make them proud and take it all the way. You, you, the 18 team is always going to be remembered. You won the league winning, going undefeated. You were ranked in the top 25 first time in the program in Division One history. You hosted in the NCAA tournament at the venue, first time there. Uh, lots of firsts for the program. What's the one takeaway you will have from that team? I know you had your ring ceremony earlier this year. You got your ring. When you think back to that 2018 team and that season, what's the thing that comes to your mind? Um. There's two things that would come to mind. The first thing is I feel like the moment that kind of set our season on track was us beating USC in preseason. I think that was huge. I think it showed us that, yeah, we were young, but we were talented and we were skilled and we could hang with anyone. And that game was so fun. And that, and that entire tournament that Florida hosted, there was it was Louisville and USC and Florida, and all great teams and so fun to play all of them and beating you in Seattle, all that just set us up for the entire season. We're like, okay, like every game we got to prepare like it's USC. We can't walk into the gym and think, oh, it's just another team. It's, no, every game is, okay, here's how we're going to beat this team. We take every team seriously. And I think that kind of just set us up for the whole season. And then the second thing I would think about is probably the feeling of holding up that conference tournament um, or that conference trophy. It was a completely emotional experience just because it was something I'd wanted before I even got to the I was like, I want to win a ring. I want a championship. And I had made um, little note cards for all the girls for their lockers that had said 2018 AAC champions. And I had made it probably three days after my hip surgery, after my junior season. And I was sitting on the couch, like with the crutches next to me. And I just, was making all those and take them to everyone's locker. Just a constant reminder every day we walk in, this is our goal, this is what we're going for. So just the experience of being able to hold up that trophy and be like, yes, we did it. Like this was what we had set our eyes on from day one of off season and we finally accomplished our goals. So I think that was huge. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I didn't know that story. That's uh that's pretty remarkable and now we're going to see if the current Knights here in 2019 can go back-to-back. Back. We've talked about what's going to be the keys for them to accomplish that a couple weeks to go in the season. I want to ask you, though, this is also going to be senior weekend for them. A lot of the seniors on the group, uh, it's a little it's a little bigger crowd than last year, uh, Jordan. So it's, uh, <laughs> just a little, a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. But that will be my last question to you. What can you say about this senior class that you played with at UCF and what they brought to the table here for those that will get to see them here uh, in the regular season finale this weekend and then in the conference? tournament oh yes the senior class has such a spot in my heart just playing with them for some of them for three years some of them Mackenzie I haven't even played with but (laughs) still bonded with so much like I love all those girls I enjoyed watching them grow from freshman to now um I told them last year after our season ended that to really just enjoy every single moment because it absolutely flies by. Like it feels like just a couple weeks ago, I was 
still practicing and going to games and that kind of stuff. And um, they're just such a talented group. And whether they choose to continue on and um, try to play pro or get a career in something they really like, I think they're all going to be very successful. And I've just really enjoyed playing with them and seeing them grow into mature and responsible and wonderful human beings. Well said. That's uh, unbelievable there. Uh, one last one there. When you broke the digs record, do you remember that? What, what do you remember when did, when they did tell you? What was that moment like when you knew that uh, they set the record, program record? Uh, well, I had known that I would have probably done it in that game against UConn. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really counting my digs or anything like that because I was like, well, that's just going to mess me up and then I will get like five digs in the match and it will screw me over. <laughs> It's normal. It's fine. Like it's big balls, so we can win as a team. Like that's what we care about. And so we're just like doing it. And I remember I dug a ball, and then I was like waiting for the girl to And like it was the longest pause. And I was like, why are we not doing it? And then the announcement came over. Like oh, we just want to take this moment and congratulate Jordan Pingle on her 2000 dig. And then I remember Christina coming up and hugging me right away because. um I was her mentor for the past, like, two years. And so we just had, like, this super special connection. And she's like, I'm so proud of you. And then I was all embarrassed. And I was like, okay, everyone, let's just keep playing volleyball. But <laughs> it was it was quite an honor. And it was fun to be celebrating, um, get a, a volleyball with that kind of labeled on it and everything. So it's, it's quite the honor. Um, and I'm, I'm happy I could have done it in my senior year. That's just exciting. Yeah, one in the record books there, and uh, boy, I tell you, a lot of people enjoyed you watching you play, and I'm sure uh, still miss you seeing play, but glad to see you around. Jordan Pingle joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's a busy schedule, but uh, thanks for offering your perspective, not only on what fans could expect this weekend, but your career. It's one of the great careers. You're one of my favorite players. I mean, I don't know what it is about the state of Colorado, but it's produced uh, come the UCF two of my favorite players, you and Aaron Campbell. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, that's a pretty high honor there. So uh, thanks for uh, joining us and we'll definitely try to do this down the road. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. And that's Jordan Pingle joining us there. Uh, great perspective and, and her analysis coming up for this matchup and what she's been up to in her career. Um, you know, uh, Jeffrey, let me, and I know we'll get back to Jordan Thompson in this Cincinnati match, but I want to ask you this real quick. Okay. We did a If we do a Mount Rushmore of UCF volleyball, in my opinion, Jordan Pingle needs to be in it. Agree? I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I you know, she's the all-time leader in digs. What she meant for the program, uh, even coming in, you know, as a freshman, has really been, um, it, it's really been uh, it, 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 indispensable, and that's why. I think we got to give a lot of credit to the the players who've kind of filled that role, particularly Mackenzie Kuchmanner, who uh, has uh, who has stepped in at that libero position this year as a graduate transfer student from North Carolina State. That is not easy to do for anybody, and to and for UCF to be as good as they have been on the back line um, this year, I think, is a real tribute to the job that she did and to the and to the bar that Jordan set at that point. Uh, for UCF, it's really been something. Because let me tell you, they're going to have a challenge this uh, this weekend. Uh, again, got to be got to be ECU first. But if you get through ECU and you got to deal with Jordan Thompson in Cincinnati, you know we're going back right, to yeah, that. Give, give the stat. Yeah, give the stat you were looking okay. up during the interview. This was this was the 
This is the most amazing performance I think I've ever seen by anybody in volleyball <laughs> in terms of a, a box score. Jordan, we talked about Jordan Thompson at 50 kills. First player in 20 years to have 50 kills in a match. She did it on 83 swings and only recorded six errors. So in volleyball, what you do is you figure out your hit percentage. It's, it's kills minus errors divided by total attempts. Jordan Thompson hit 530 in that match on 83 swings. That is, that, that's, like, you can't even do that on easy mode in a video game that's that good. Like, if you're hitting over 300, you're having a really good night. Um, she hit 530 on 83 swings. If you're, if you're, if you're taking 30 swings, okay, you're busy. She, she went, she, she swung 83 times in this match. I just, an unbelievable performance. And you got to wonder, is fatigue going to be a factor? What it, What is UCF's back line going to do? More importantly, what is their front line going to do with Anne-Marie Watson um, and uh, and Narissa Moravik and Lachey Harper uh, uh, going up against her? We might see some of Ali Sable as well. Um, UCF has had success against Jordan, at least not, not stopping her, of course, because you just can't stop a player who's that good. But just throttling her back just enough so UCF can get uh, uh, can get ahead in matches. It didn't work up in Cincinnati. We'll see if it does uh, on Sunday at UCF. Should be fun. I mean, it's going to be a fun match. Should be uh, for the, should be for the conference championship, uh, barring some bizarre upsets, and uh, should be a lot of fun. Yep. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we talk a little hoops, women's basketball. Their season Woo! getting underway. Uh, obviously, we had our preview show earlier this week, but how did UCF do against ACC faux Pitt in front of 4,000 elementary schoolers? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we uh, wrap things up. Now, earlier today, well, today being Wednesday, you're not listening to this on Wednesday, but we're recording it on Wednesday. Earlier today, uh, we were at women's basketball season opener. UCF receiving votes in the top 25. Uh, pick third in the conference, and uh, right off the bat, they take on the Pitt Panthers out of the ACC, a team that UCF beat in Pittsburgh last year. It was Education Day, 11 a.m. tip on a Wednesday morning, and that's because, gentlemen, there were 4,000 elementary schoolers bust in from Orange County Public Schools um, to be uh, to be at the match, third through fifth graders. Um are you sure it wasn't more than that? I think it was more. In fact, didn't they just announce like it was over like 6,900 well, people all together in there? The total number of tickets sold or comped was uh, is a UCF women's basketball record, 6,970. They set the attendance record today. Um, and uh, and UCF got the victory over, over Pitt as well. But first of all, can we talk a little bit about the atmosphere? Because, yes, it was loud and it was... What? High, <laughs> it was high frequency Uh-oh. loud, um, but uh, but it was a fun atmosphere to see all the kids there and really enjoying the game. Uh, UCF felt was down by nine after one twenty to eleven, but then uh, held Pitt to no more than thirteen points in any particular quarter. Um, KK Wright, who did not start in this game but did play and heated up in the uh, second quarter in particular with 6 of 12 from the field for 16 points. Four nights in double figures. Siani Martin with 15 on 
uh, five threes, five of six from three-point range with Siani today. Masani Kaba got into the action with 14 points and Brittany Smith with 12. So we saw a lot of inside-outside work for UCF today. Um, and, uh, and Murph, you were there. Uh, the, I, now, I know Pitt's not, you know, the, the strength of the ACC this year, at least as far as we know, but... Still good to get a win over a team of that quality, considering especially how good that they were shooting in the early going. And UCF was able to weather the storm, right? Yeah. A win is a win is a win is a win. Uh, I I was impressed by, again, that second half clamp down, what they did defensively. And really, guys, if, I mean, certainly they're not, this team, this UCF team is not going to shoot 50% from the, you know, above the three point line every game. However, they are probably going to be a better three point shooting team this year. And that's going to make them pretty dangerous because you know how good defensively they're going to be. They, they, are, they are going to they're going to wear you out on, on, that, on that end of the floor. Um, but if they can get some offense and, and get some big buckets and get some threes uh, and with, with um, some regularity, this team could be fairly dangerous. I was obviously impressed uh, with Siani hitting five threes, Brittany Smith double-double. Um, KK Wright, you know, it showed that she worked on a three-point shot this season. Um, she hit probably the shot of the game today, about seven minutes, seven minutes to play UCF up by seven. And there was a play in which it kind of breaks down for UCF's UCF's offense. It was kind of a, a havoc play where nothing was going right. The ball was bouncing all over the place. The shot clock was running down. The ball rolls into KK's hands at the top of the, uh, at the top of the arc. And she drains a three to push it to a 10 point lead with less than seven to play. And I thought that was about it from there. Um, it was a, it was a really, really impressive second half. And uh, I think we've got uh, Coach Abe here talking about not only KK's effort, uh, what impressed her also about the uh, the, the, the other players on the team, the noise in the building, um, and just how dangerous uh, this team can be with the improved three-point shooting. I mean, we have three really good ones. It would be KK and Georgia and Tiani. Georgia was just it was just so overwhelming a little bit. This the the noise was it noisy for you guys? It was super noisy, which is great. It was awesome. <laughs> Right, but this is her first time she's ever played on our arena floor, and you know I think she had a little bit of nerves going on, and obviously Siani didn't, um, and obviously they played zone the whole time, and so we just um, figured out what offense we were going to run, and I mean she was wide open, Siani, and and then the second half Georgia came back <clears throat> and was hitting shots because I said I don't care if you airball every single shot, just keep shooting. You're a shooter. That's what you should be doing. You know she's really our best three point shooter. Um, but if, if Siani can keep shooting like that, KK can keep shooting like that, Georgia can keep shooting like that, I don't know if everybody's going to keep playing a zone. We're phenomenal against any kind of man defense. Um, but with those three shooting, it's really going to open up Brittany and Moss, which it did. That's Coach Abe uh, talking postgame after the win over Pitt. Now, Brian, this is not, you know, four, you know, what was it? UCF was uh, from, from beyond the arc today. 10 of 20. 10 of 20. Uh, yeah. By the way, Pitt was also 10 of 20 from beyond the arc. But yeah. three-point shooting is not what this team really wants to do, or at least to this point has done for Coach Abe. So so is this is this a new wrinkle that we're looking at, or was it a situation where the shots were open and we're just going to take them, and then they ended up draining them? I think this this team is going to take more threes this year. I don't think I don't think this team is going to be solely within you know 17 feet and in. Uh, and I think that's part of the game plan. I mean – Again, I don't think you see KK working as hard as she did this summer on that shot if they didn't plan to take, have her take more threes. 
and I think that kind of goes for the team. Certainly, they're not going to shoot 10 of 20. I've said that, um, but I do think they're going to take more of, uh, of of just those those big shots from the outside. I think you're going to see more of that this year. Eric, what was your impression of the uh, of their performance well, today? Well, keep in mind too, as she, uh, Coach A mentioned, uh, defense kind of dictated a lot of that. Pitt played zone. And so they gave them the three-point shots. And I think some teams, maybe that's the scouting report early on, is, hey, play zone against them, see if they can beat you from the perimeter. But they have. They have players they can shoot. And I think they have more firepower. Honestly, this might be the most talented offensive players that Coach Abe has had in her four seasons. I think they've got some more options. I mean, I thought Kaba uh, looked great. 14 and 9. Brittany Smith inside 12 and 11, I thought was solid. Uh, Georgia Gales, a great th- shooter from the perimeter. I thought Diamond Battles, even though she struggled with her shot, nine assists, allowing KK to play off the ball. I, I think this team has a little more uh, diversity here offensively and has some more creativity offensively. And I think that's what got them back in this game. They fell behind early by double digits. I don't know if they come back a couple years from uh, ago with this. But they do with this offense, and then their defense clam down. And it's a young team, and I think they'll get better, as Murph mentions. We'll see how they do on the three-game road trip. But I, I, I liked what I saw. I think this team can score more than people think. Yeah, I, I do think that if they're able to open up that three-point shooting game, that does help spread the floor. And actually, that'll make the job for the bigs that much easier. We talked about Brittany Smith and um, and Masani Kaba. Um, you know, combining for us at 26 and, and 20 uh, uh, together in that front line. But um, if you're able to play that sort of three-guard alignment out there and you can have them you know, just gobble up rebounds, which they were good at today, um, that's going to be a big uh, – it's going to be a big help for UCF uh, moving forward because, you know, as we as – we, as we know, you know, with the conference, uh, when the conference season hits at the start of the new year, um, it's going to be time to hit the gas pedal. And uh, UCF has three road games coming up at Belmont, at Florida Gulf Coast, at Stephen F. Austin before they return home the Sunday before Thanksgiving uh, to take on the Delaware Blue Hens. Uh, by the way, for those of you wondering where's the men's basketball team, uh, they are getting started on Saturday, November the 9th against Prairie View. Uh, and they will also play Tuesday night at 9 o'clock at home against Miami. So that's two home games to start out for UCF men's basketball. As many unanswered questions as we had about women's basketball that seem to be answered, we're going to try and get some answers from men's basketball to see how all those newcomers will mesh together uh, in this game. So a reminder, listen to our basketball preview podcast, which we put up earlier this week. Um, We preview both UCF women's and men's teams, and we also have on show number 183, we have some also some more basketball preview content for you um, as well. So, all right, well, here we are, boys. We're eyeball deep in the uh, in the fall sports equinox. Um, Brian, you're heading out to Tulsa. What do you have? Uh, what do you have in mind for uh, what's coming up this week? We got the. Are we going to see another another patented Brian Murphy checklist this uh, this Friday? Oh God. <laughs> let's see uh i uh a- as of recording this right now i'm about i'm about seven hours away from getting on a flight to dallas and then to tulsa uh Ooh. and then hopefully hopefully at that point i will be able to contribute to the uh jeremy brenner round table uh at some point and yes. then uh, yes hopefully 
I will get to the checklist or whatever you want to call it uh, before or maybe probably early Friday morning and post that Friday morning or the game Friday night. I will then, Jeffrey, I will then be taking a 6 a.m. flight out of Tulsa back to Houston and then to Orlando, which will then land at noon on Saturday so I can go to the UCF men's basketball game probably straight from the airport with checked baggage in tow. Uh... I just, I just, I just want everybody to know that you're the one who chooses to do this to yourself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I would have no, I would have, I would, I would have it no other way. I, I love this. I, I was telling Eric today because we still don't know, we still don't know what time the uh, the Black Friday game against USF is yet. And I tell you what. Jeffrey, I know I kind of shot it down on our last podcast, but but and I, I've got a lot more to say, so just give me a few minutes here. Um, uh, if that Black Friday game is at like 6 or 7 o'clock, then all of a sudden, that <laughs> dream, dream of going to Anaheim, California for, on Thanksgiving, no less, to watch UCF men's basketball play Pitt, and then fly back Friday morning, I might have enough time to make that work if that game is a night game. I'm, I'm just saying, there's a slight chance. It, it's, it's, even more than, it's even more than Jim Carrey and Lauren Holly and Dumb and Dumber. I swear to God, it's a bigger chance than that. Uh, oh, there's still a chance. And also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, let's watch fake exhibition baseball. I was yeah. out there on <laughs> on Friday night and you know what a lot of people a lot of people were out at the John on Friday night you saw Matthew Micah was out there Kyle Kemp was out there Shane Brown Shane Brown was out there um and UCF looked good they pitched well I think they had 20 strikeouts and two walks it doesn't really matter because no stats were kept I, I think UCF won five to three but that's a total guess again they did not keep runs Sam Unger was asking you to calculate war and meanwhile the, the stats were not Sam being kept very, Sam was very eager Sam I think <laughs> wanted me to do play-by-play at one point in this exhibition baseball game against Stetson I think the major takeaway is that it sounds like all of the pitchers who ended last season uh, going through, uh, you know, uh, ha- having to rehab from surgery. So you're Joe Sheridan's, you're Zach Helsel's, uh, you're Ryan Saltonstall's, you're Nolan Lipkowski's, uh, those guys, uh, Trevor Holloway, all of those guys, according to Greg Loveletti, are on track to be ready for opening day in February. Uh, so that's good. UCF, UCF baseball plays another um, fall ball game on Friday night in the land. Nice. I, I unfortunately oh, will no. not be there. No. I know. Oh. Be there. Do have, I do have other business to attend to, as aforementioned. Uh, but as Eric has uh, brought up previously, uh, there will be the Black and Gold World Series uh, next week, and I will uh, make it out there for maybe one, or definitely one, maybe two games. Uh, and then if I can pull myself away from that magnetic sporting event, maybe I'll make it to playoff soccer. <laughs> How about hold you? On, hold on. Okay. Wait, wait I, 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 need, I got questions here. The, 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 the Night Nation has questions, Murph. Billy McKay, Friday night starter potential? Nope. Uh, <laughs> Billy McKay. Billy McKay, uh, um, let me look. because uh, So Billy McKay started the game against Stetson on Friday night. And uh, to be honest, because this is our first look at any of these guys, I, I was unaware of who Billy McKay was. So Billy McKay, yeah, I really was, I swear. Billy McKay is a JUCO transfer from, from Polk State College. I believe that's the same JUCO that brought us Jordan Spicer. Um, Billy McKay is like a submariner right-hander. 
The reason why he started this game against Stetson, according to Coach Lovelady, is because there were scouts uh, in attendance. Like You could see the radar guns. They were certainly there behind home plate. There were scouts in attendance. Lovelady wanted those scouts to get a good look at McKay, uh, get a good look at McKay who is a, obviously a draft-eligible junior. Uh, and and so, so that's why he started. He will factor into the bullpen, uh, bullpen uh, merry-go-round this year. Uh, certainly, he comes from a weird angle. He's going to be hard to pick up. Uh, with his submarining style, so I think Ooh. he'll have a big fact. I think he will have. I, I think he will have a big factor in the bullpen. But no, and you you should not expect him to start unless unless uh, uh, they go with an opener type situation for midweek games, which I think Lovely left the door open as a possibility. So but yeah. that, was, okay. that was somebody that uh, you could watch out for in the bullpen this year. This concludes the year edition of uh, of Di- innings, Diamond Notes. Way. Brian, <laughs> with Brian Murphy. 12 innings, 12 innings, man. Stetson, UCF baseball. Scheduled 12 innings because obviously they're only playing two. Uh, you, you like you like more? You like, you like this, Jeff? Is that how I'm continuing to talk about this? They play 12 innings because they're only playing two scheduled games against other opponents before they, they do the inter-squad World Series. Um, so I assume that the game on Friday night will also be 12 innings. But on the bright side, those 12 innings on Friday night were brisk. Uh you know, I mean, they were three hours and 20 minutes. That is a brisk pace for a 12-inning game. So I appreciated that. Uh, all in all, a Were they fun starting night with a one-and-one one count? How does that happen? <laughs> but no, because I think it was a lot of quick at-bats. Again, UCF only had two walks in 12 innings. And, and so not, putting a lot, not putting a lot of guys on base. And to, and to be frank, UCF didn't have a lot of guys on base either. So um, it was, uh, it was again, it was, it was brisk. Um, not as brisk as it'll be in Tulsa on Saturday night, but that's a that's a hominin game, um, and yeah, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll go from there. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. How often are you going to check that UCF baseball account during the from Tulsa? How, how often? Nah, I mean they're not keeping I, score. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know if UCF baseball is really doing much. I believe UCF baseball sent out like three tweets during the game. Okay. I, I will give. I will. I will say this. I give a uh, a hell of a lot of credit to uh, to Ricky. Uh, I forgot Ricky's last name. He's the Stetson Ricky Ex- Hazel. Our boy Ricky Hazel from Stetson. Shout out, to, shout out to Ricky. Ricky. We love Ricky over here. The only reason why I, I knew the score of the game, or really why anybody knew the score of the game, is because Ricky was in the visiting SID box or, uh, and doing play-by-play stats. He was keeping stats for this game. Now, uh, that's that, dedication. That did, lead to some complications where you know obviously because it's spring a lot of the guys are not wearing the jerseys that they will wear in february because those jerseys aren't ready yet so when he looks at the roster and sees that 16 is the winning pitcher well it i mean it, it says 16 is zach helzel well zach helzel's recovering from tommy john surgery so he didn't pitch so i guess those are the pitfalls of really paying attention to to fall ball is that you can get uh, trapped into thinking that someone is who they actually are not uh, other than that, though, good on him for doing that. I would have scored it if I cared. Uh, I look forward to going back for the uh, the World Series. And uh, look, we're only three months away from uh, from actual college baseball starting. I mean, this is what a time to be alive. There you go, Sam. You asked for it. You got it. So that's your UCF baseball wrap with Brian Murphy there. Um, He's the best. Impressed. That's impressive. Uh, Eric, what do you got coming up? I know we had uh, you got we got you got your three stars up today, and uh, and you yeah. got to look at some TV numbers too, right? 
That's right. I got the TV numbers for UCF Houston. Football game did very well. I, I break it down in Black and Gold Banneret. Three stars of the week. We'll be following how women's soccer does in Memphis. We'll be following football on Friday. I'm going to be working magic games. I mean, but uh, and softball, football is going on too. UCF playing Florida in softball, football. It's a great time, Murph. It's it's football. We got it's beautiful. We got it's a still. one versus two on on Saturday. LSU and Alabama at three thirty. Uh, we got uh, this is three, Jeff. Pay huh? attention. Two, two versus three. three. Yeah. Ah, whatever. It's one versus. What was the last time? That we had uh, a number one in one poll face a number one in another poll. Who cares? All righty then. <laughs> you might want to end it, Jeff, before Murph breaks down the uh, lineup. For Murph, a very, Murph, very, Murph is, Murph is, Gosh, Murph is, uh, the only thing, <laughs> the only thing riskier than Tulsa is, is Murphy Jeff. today. It's unbelievable. Is, wow. Well, it's, it's your, it's your fault, Jeffrey, for letting him on night shift. He's become unglued. He's like Brock Lesnar. He just gets out of control now. We ever had him, since he's been on night shift. I know we had him on. He was, he was drinking and swearing freely on the air. It was amazing. <laughs> I would say I, 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 so as a, uh, as a night shift virgin, I, I did not know what to expect. That was that was great. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I don't really remember the last thirty minutes, but it's fine. <laughs> I, and I feel bad not be able to come on to that show ever again because all these other games are probably going to be at night. Uh, so it's it was a break. one and done deal. It was a one night stand for me and Jeff on night shift. And uh, but I it was great. It was a lot it was of fun. fun. It was I a night. We'll, it was a night we'll always remember together, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap I'll this up. Like, I'll, never like, I'll never let go, Jeffrey. Right. I know. I'll never let go. It'll be our special moment together. Um, blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you can find us. All you can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. You can follow us individually on Twitter at spokes underscore Murphy. That's Brian, Eric Lopez, Elo for Eric and me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Make sure you also follow Luke Saris, SBN, uh, and uh, Jeremy Brenner with one N as well. Jeremy, um, breaking in the uh, his uh, his UCF women's basketball beat writing responsibilities uh, he's today. Fired also, up, man. He's, he's fired excited up. for that. Yeah, he was he was around. The, he was running around the the scores table asking me questions to try and make sure that uh, that he got stuff right. Uh, also, want, also definitely recommend you follow underscore DS Warden. Our buddy Derek Warden come up with some great photos. He actually was at – he's had a busy week. He was at football, and then he was at the men's soccer uh, game against uh, – where they clinched the the share of the conference title. Um, and he's going to be heading to uh, some basketball games as well this season. Um, you can check out his amazing slideshows on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Thanks once again also to Jordan Pingle for joining us. Uh, as well, we wish her the best of luck. You'll probably see her this weekend at UCF Volleyball as well. we got a big weekend coming up for everybody. It's going to be a fun one, and uh, we Good hope you'll be along to follow Tulsa us. Yep. There. Have safe travels, buddy. Safe travels out to Tulsa. I know it's kind of tough. you got to connect out there. No direct flights, huh? No direct flights out to Tulsa. No. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I got no joke for that. Did you want a joke on that? I, no, I got, I, no I got nothing. I got nothing. No, thanks. For, right, for Brian Murphy. And Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch you next week.